In this episode of the STEM Space, Claire and I reflect on the first weeks of school, including everybody getting sick. You can't hear it in my voice. Claire shares her students' reactions to the mysterious refilling water bottle and a new role she's taking on in addition to teaching STEM. I talk about an open-ended science inquiry activity that has students defining variables and collecting data. Teams then share their findings with other groups and quickly realize the importance of clear communication in science. Enjoy. Hey, I'm Claire. And I'm Natasha. From college roommates to co-founders of Vivify STEM, pull up a seat as we discuss our experiences as aerospace engineers, teachers, moms, program directors, curriculum writers, graduate students, and friends. This is the STEM Space Podcast. Hi, Claire. Hey, how's it going? It's going. It's the back to school, everybody gets sick season. (laughs) Yes, I can tell by your voice. I know. I lost it on Monday and then I was teaching on Tuesday and I almost did one of those assignments where I put on the board, I have no voice and you must teach yourself today. (laughs) I I just do that uh, like purposefully when I'm tired, I'll tell the kids that I'm losing my voice so that it plays on their empathy and then they're kinder to me. (laughs) Does it work? Yes, it does. With the little kids, I'm like, my voice is so tired and I'm having a rough time today talking. So you got to be extra careful that you keep your voices down so that you can hear me. And they're like, oh, I'm so sorry. Okay, we'll be quiet. (laughs) Like, how often can I use this and it still works? Well, when you get to undergrads, what they do is recommend all the things you should order from Starbucks. (laughs) They're like, there's this tea. It's called the medicine ball. Like if you say that, they're going to know what it is. And it's like some herbal tea with honey syrup in it. And I was like, okay, so I actually got it for Thursday's class. Yeah, It was really good. And they're like, your voice is better. See, it was the Starbucks drink. (laughs) But it's not on the menu. This is like, they just know. I went and ordered. I don't know. I was like, give me the medicine ball tea. And she's like, you got it. (laughs) That's amazing. That's like, I remember when we were in undergrad and there was somebody at, uh, was it Taco Bell? I can't remember which restaurant fast food chain it was, but everybody was like, okay, if you're, you need to stay up all night, you need to go to this Taco Bell and you need to order the pepper dew. It's like, what is the pepper dew? They're like, it's all of the soft drinks all in one, but it's more Mountain Dew and Dr. Pepper than all the other ones. And it'll keep you up all night. I was like, I am not doing that. <laughs> that sounds disgusting. Right? <laughs> so I wouldn't recommend the Pepper Dew, but maybe the medicine ball from Starbucks is a good one. Yep, I agree. And okay, so I have been waiting to talk to you because last time we were recording, you were going to do this water bottle like magic trick (laughs) with your students have you done it yet I did I did it yesterday and it went like so perfectly well that I didn't have a recording of it of course because it was just so amazing but if I would have had it on video it would have become viral because it was just so good I mean their their reactions were over the top because we had just finished this really intense challenge where they had five minutes to, to rack up all these points possible on this prototype that we talked about in the last episode. And they, so their energy was really high. And so I was talking to them about it. I was like, we're going to do a reflection. Like, 
this was challenging. Man, I am so thirsty. Let me just take a drink real quick. And I pour it out of the bottle. I'm like, oh, I should have brought more water. Man, but, you know, we're going to have some more challenges that, that are going to be really intense. Oh, I need some more water, guys. And I just poured some more. And one guy was like, wait, what? You are blowing my mind right now. How how did you just do You were out of water. What? It was amazing. And so they were all like, wait, no, it's she doesn't have sleeves, so she can't be hiding it in her sleeves. And it was it was really good. So on the next class, I'm going, I challenged them, okay, you have to figure out how I'm doing this and bring all your ideas. And so we're going to tie in science principles of, okay, what do you know about how things work uh, that you can relate to on how you can make water stop and start. So like how a straw works, you can stop it by the pressing the top of the straw, you know, um, and, and we'll see where they go from there. So stay tuned, but it's pretty epic right now. I love the suspense for your class. And that's actually <laughs> one of my favorite teaching strategies is to leave them confused. Yes. yes. And it works so well because the way I found it's like part motivation and then that need for wanting to understand really helps them focus on what you're saying versus, yeah, yeah, I got it. Like whatever, you know, but if it's like this, I have to know <laughs> what is yeah. happening. And then as you're explaining it, I'm sure you're going to bring up different science concepts and they're going to really be excited about it because it's something that they're asking you to answer. Yes, exactly. And this is something that I think I've spoken on years before in one of our episodes, but it ties back to something I always tell my kids in it's an equation I was taught in high school in a computer science class where my professor said, bewilderment plus exposure equals obvious. And so I tell them when they get really stressed out, I'm like, right now you're in that bewilderment phase. You have no idea what's going on. You don't know what's happening, but you need that part of the equation. And then exposure to everything else over time where I'm going to teach you it and we'll repeat it over and over again. You need both of those things in order for it to later become obvious. So you need to be really confused right now. Like that's part of the equation. So uh, it works perfectly, I think, for any concept that you're teaching in science is give them that bewilderment first. And that really hooks them in to be able to understand it out over time later. Yeah, my students are definitely in the bewilderment phase right now, <laughs> and I'm doing forces in motion, and I have to cram, like, they're K through eight grade teachers, and I'm supposed to teach them all they need to know about forces in motion in four days. Oh, four yeah, days. totally doable. <laughs> no problem. And it's funny because I, this is the second time teaching this class, and once again, I'm debating my husband on what we should teach because you can't teach everything right so he's a mechanical engineering professor and he was like you have to teach this but you can't teach that doesn't make any sense to them because they don't know calculus <laughs> so you can't really teach this right uh-huh <laughs> and it's been fun so today's or this week was all about um trying to build up this muscle of scientific inquiry and yeah. how do we answer science questions in a way where we control variables. And what was interesting is we did an example, like your basic, I want to water a plant. How much water does a plant need? You know, average okay. science project. And so they looked at like independent, dependent variables. And I talk about how we graph data and they're like, yeah, yeah, whatever, you know. And I was like, okay, well, if you're so good at this, I'm gonna have you create your own science experiment. 
And so I posed the question that we talked about this in another episode, um, like the drag episode. You remember that one? Yes. All about drag. Yeah. So I brought this back, but with a new twist. So I asked them, if I drop two objects from the same height, will they hit the ground at the same time? And that's all I said. And I, all I'm telling them is your dependent variable is time. That's what you're measuring. What you choose to measure and like change in those objects is completely up to you. If you think a blue object falls faster than a red object, like, okay, you know, whatever variable you want to choose. And they're all like, uh, okay. (laughs) And then they're like, we know this answer. I feel like this should be obvious, but they don't like know, but I'm like, okay, what's the answer? Well, I don't know. (laughs) Cause they're like, you're tricking us, you know? And so they think yeah. they know, but they're not sure. And then if you Google it, it's not even that much help. No, right? I was about to say, they're going to turn to TikTok and get a million different answers for that one. Yeah. And that's what ended up happening. And so they mostly looked at mass, but they were dropping the most random stuff. Like there was a, a stuffed Reveille, which is the Anna mascot. Okay. A dog, um, stuffed version, stuffed animal, and then with like an eraser and a marker and a book, like totally random objects. Oh man! Yeah, and not controlling anything. All they were looking <laughs> at was mass versus time. And so I had everybody submit their data, and this is kind of where I stopped last year, and then we talked about it. And this year, though, I took all of their data and put it on um, like a big sheet of paper, cut it out, and gave it to every group. So every group had everybody's data and they had to group it by different statements. So one statement was all objects fall at the same time. Heavier objects fall faster. Heavier objects fall slower. I have no idea. Like the data makes no sense. (laughs) And then one group actually looked at size. So I said size. Okay. And so they sorted this data and everybody's graphs fit somewhere, but all of the statements were supported by someone's data. Uh Uh-huh. Yeah. And so how can heavier objects fall faster and slower than lighter objects? Like what is happening? Um, So we, we talked about like what could possibly be accounting for these differences in data. And let me say, first of all, having students look at their own data this way is really powerful ways in teaching communication. Can you imagine why? (laughs) Why do you say that? Oh man, because they don't, when, when my students, when they create data, they just throw it in there, but they don't actually think about what it's telling you. And I remember a grad student in, when we were undergrads presenting his research and he was showing this graph and somebody, I forget who it was, if it was a professor or another student was like, wait, I thought you said it increased. And he was like, yeah. And he was looking at the graph. He was like, oh, oh, I guess it actually decreased. And then it was like more than halfway through the presentation where he realized his graph was upside down. Oh, no. It's like, what, like you got to really understand something and be able to communicate with each other about what, what it is. You know, you, ha- you have to look at your data. You can't just put it out there. Yeah. <laughs> This was such a great way for them to realize how bad they were at communicating their results because <laughs> some groups like just drew lines and had nothing on the axes, right? Oh. Or had words like length and you're like, length of what? <laughs> and 
or just use like abbreviations. Like one team had PB, CLT. And we're like, what does it mean? So they're like yelling at each other, like, this is what I meant, you know? And that was like the coolest takeaway that I wasn't expecting is them realizing how important it is to be clear when you're graphing that someone else is going to read it. Yeah. And where I end, or so where I took the lesson is we brought up Galileo and basically for thousands of years, humans thought heavier objects fall faster. Galileo came around and said, ah, you idiots. I have proven all objects (laughs) fall at 9.8 meters per second squared. And so we talked about that and I showed them a video of the bowling ball and the feather and the vacuum. And I was like, all right, guys, you convinced, like, this is what Galileo said. And they're like, oh, okay, yeah, that sounds good. And I was like, wait. Uh, but your data. Your data doesn't say that. <laughs> Nobody's data. I think one team had objects fall at the same time. One out of 10 teams. And so they're like, well, it was probably like human error, you know, from like how we were recording it. Like it was falling so fast. And I'm like, that's yeah. how easy it is to convince you. <laughs> Seriously. It was wild. Um, And so then we were like, okay, so you're telling me right now, if I pull out a bowling ball and a feather, they're going to fall at the same time. And they're like, well, obviously not. And I'm like, exactly. (laughs) So it was so fascinating in live time, like real time to see them switch the brain of like, oh, that's science. So it's whatever in this like fantasy land. And then this is real world. And it was like two buckets that they could not bring together. And watching them like struggle with that. And I was like, no, science is your world. Like we're trying to describe your actual world. And here's the problem with Galileo's <laughs> statement is he was, he found this in the absence of air and there's something called drag. <laughs> and we talked about how like surface area matters and mass matters. And I showed different graphs of real data, like showing the relationship between those and the drop time. And the final conversation was, and what do we do with our students? So if you're trying to explain gravity to a fourth grader, you can just say all objects fall at the same rate, but the kid's going to be so confused, <laughs> right? Like, what are your thoughts about yeah. is that, what is appropriate for elementary? That's a great question. I want them to experience things without, because they don't have the vocab yet, so you can't really uh, overwhelm them with the words. So mm-hmm. it's really just showing them what is really happening, but trying to make it, uh, what's the right word? Like so obvious because you make it extreme. That's what So doing something where you're dropping it from like knee height, that's not going to, they're not going to see it. They're, they're not going to really take your word for it because their experience is just not there. So you have to make them experience. So like doing a, a drop from like have the local fire department bring out one of their trucks and drop something from the top of their ladder like those kind of things that'll stick with them like oh no i can later when i figure out all the words and understand what drag really is i can i have that memory i have that experience of oh yeah remember that paper it like floated <laughs> that's what drag was that's was <laughs> air resistance you know yeah, and we followed it up with the space lander because, like you said, having them experience it is the most valuable. And so the teams that were listening to the conversation of like more surface area increases drag immediately understood what to do and have like this giant surface area and it floats to the ground where others are just like adding cotton balls and straws, you know, 
and making it yes. this like crazy platform, it never worked. Um, and so that I think is also important to apply it. Um, but this reminds me that last time we talked, you had this model of your classroom and your students were supposed to like use some device. Okay, so I'm switching gears on you. Can you tell me about what happened? Did you end up doing that? <laughs> yes, we finished it yesterday. So that or I overwhelmed them by the water uh, pouring thing. And it was awesome. So we have not done our like final recap to where we talk about the engineering design skills that they incorporated from past experience but that's where i think you're, you're at. but it was really cool to see them pull things from the past to try to figure out how they're going to grasp a ping pong ball and manipulate it to get it to certain spots in this model of my classroom that i built out of a refrigerator box and right. They would have to earn points based on what they got these ping pong balls to do, like whether they dropped it in a hole or were able to stick it in a cabinet or make it roll under two desks in a row. So they built things like the robotic hand, like that we've done in the past. They uh, did like the roller coaster um, out of toilet paper tubes to try to get it to go somewhere because Ooh. they couldn't break the plane of a rug that I have on my floor which is like seven by 10 foot rug. So they couldn't break the plane to reach above the model to drop the ping pong ball and they couldn't throw it. So they had to build devices to get these ping pong balls in certain places. So they were using engineering design skills and concepts that we've learned in the past. They had like uh, strings attached to things to release a ball out of a cup, like the uh, crater challenge that we have. So it was neat to see them remember things and be able to transfer that knowledge to use it for this application, which is awesome. So we're going to recap that next week. Okay, but there's also something new that has been added to your schedule that you kind <laughs> of mentioned, and I still don't know. <laughs> so you're okay. the STEM teacher. Did something else get added? Yes, I texted you the other day and was like, I just took on something else and it's not STEM. Uh, yeah, and you'll probably never guess the subject that I am now teaching, but I'm not only teaching it to um, a new class. It's not a new class. I am teaching it during STEM. So I'm teaching two different subjects to two different classes at the same time, and they're not related. Is Natasha, it Can I guess? You can guess, yeah. I mean, the obvious one would be like technology or computer stuff, but you're saying I'm not going to guess it. So it it's has not. to be something like, uh, like language arts. <laughs> you're getting close. Yeah. <laughs> All right. What is it's it? Journalism. Huh. <laughs> I'm teaching journalism. Tell me more. <laughs> what? <laughs> So uh, the teacher that normally teaches that elective was um, had a lot on her plate. So I actually volunteered. I was like, you know what? I bet I could teach journalism. And it's a, they, their main responsibilities are to produce the school newspaper every month and to do the yearbook. Um, I've never done either of those things like any time in my life. I've never participated in anything like that. But I figured how hard could it be? And... <laughs> Claire, don't undersell yourself. We did the yearbook in aerospace. Oh, you're right. We did do a class yearbook for our aerospace 
yeah, you're right. I do have experience. Look at me. I'm qualified. <laughs> um, but I thought this would be a really good way to promote my STEM program because the journalism kids are going to be in my STEM class working on their paper and whatnot. And so they'll see the things that I'm teaching and we'll make the paper and that will promote the program. And also I want to add things to it. I'm thinking our school needs a podcast. And so I can add technology pieces. I also want them to be uh, creating like videos and things and I can teach that. So I feel like I, I, this is doable. Um, I'm not sure how I will instruct two different classes at once, but, um, yeah, that starts, uh, in on Tuesday. So, yeah, this sounds like a five days. <laughs> this sounds like a self-paced thing. <laughs> you just kind of <laughs> here are your instructions for today. Go off and do it. Um, but that's really cool because I am seeing you're adding like technology components to it with the podcasts and the videos. So you're really kind of stemifying journalism. That's yeah, that's, that's my thought. I think it will work. So we'll see. It's, and I realized that the reason why I am a STEM teacher is because I love open-ended problem solving. And this is one of those scenarios. So, I mean, it is. It, it's definitely going to be a challenge. And my initial reaction was, well, we do a lot of research projects in STEM, right? Like yes. we recently released the National Park Research Challenge and journalism is all about research, right? Like you usually have a story and you have to go interview people. It's exactly. a little different, I guess, for your book, but there's going to be stories and features, right? Yes. And that's where I was kind of going with. I was like, there's several lessons that I can kind of do both, like ethics, like ethics and mm -hmm. reporting, ethics in your data ethics in your research, like those go both to journalism and in STEM. So I'm, I see a lot of overlap, or at least I'm going to make overlap and uh, I'll keep you updated. All right. So now is your title a STEM and journalism teacher? I have no idea. I don't, I, maybe I should just make a title that can just mean whatever. <laughs> hey, that's basically stream. <laughs> that's a, stop it. Just stop it. <laughs> All right. Well, I'm excited for this um, new edition. You're back in the classroom teaching STEM for kinder through ninth grade. And then you're like, you know what? That's not enough. So I'm going to add <laughs> some journalism at the exact same time. So good luck. And I'll have to check in with you next week if how you're feeling about this. Yep. <laughs> yeah. Stay so tuned. now, STEM space out. Do you get our free weekly newsletter? If not, you're missing out on amazing content, free resources, and ideas from Vivify and other STEM education leaders. All you need to do to subscribe is head to vivifystem.com backslash subscribe and get your copy delivered right to your inbox.